Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in for our study today. We're going to talk about how your good works must glorify God, not you. Listen, right from the jump, I want to get right into our subject matter because it's a big problem. And as we work our way through our our study today, we're going to see that it's been a problem for a long time in the so-called world of religion. Right from the jump, Proverbs 25 and verse 27 says, It is not good to eat much honey, so for men to search their own glory is not glory. Don't try to glorify yourself. Oh, look at me, look at me, look at all the good things that I do. And even though these things are covered in the scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament, people still have a long practice of doing it. In 2 Corinthians eleven eighteen. He says, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. In the context, Paul is going to be speaking as a fool, and he's going to try to illustrate to the Corinthians how dumb this is. In fact, he said in 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen, I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little." He says in 2 Corinthians eleven seventeen, very next verse, that which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. And the next chapter in 2 Corinthians 12, 11, he says, I'm become a fool in glorying. You've compelled me for I ought to have been commended of you for in nothing am I behind the very chief apostles, though I be nothing. Well, there was a problem in Corinth. He needed to expose people that were doing what he then put forth the example of. <coughs> Excuse me. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 12, he says, But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them, which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. See, there were a problem in Corinth was they'd be willing to accept false teachers, false brethren who were pretentiously behaving themselves as though they were apostles, and they would do so because these the, the church in Corinth had a problem with carnality. You see that in the first letter in 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. They, they were followers of men uh, to a very bad degree. There was division because of it. They were following the person that baptized them. So in 2 Corinthians 11, False apostles had become a problem. You know, hey, it's a pretty easy target, right? If you're going to glory in men and glorify men, it's a pretty easy target to go into a congregation that would do such things and, and pray upon them. Well, if you back up in 2 Corinthians, we were talking about chapter 11 and, and even read out of chapter 12. If you back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, this is what people in Corinth, Christians, brethren to the apostle Paul, Notice what's happening. They said, For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such and one think this, that such as we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will not boast of the things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God had distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reached unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of the things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commended himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. When you look at Paul, here they are attacking him. You know, dude, you're weak. 
When you show up in person, you're not as bold as you are in letter. Well, Paul promises them when when they see him and, and those that are working with him, there's going to be the likeness of the way that they were writing. But the problem, the heart of the problem, is that they were comparing themselves according to men and seeking the glory that belongs to God among men and glorifying man in a way that they should have been glorifying God. You know, that's a problem today, too, where people glorify, quote-unquote, preachers. They raise them up and put them on a very high pedestal. They even compare them. Well, you're not as good of a preacher as this guy or of that guy. All that matters is the word God being preached accurately, truly. Is God being glorified? Well, not by a lot of men and not by a lot of people that claim to be God's people. The problem in Corinth exists today among so-called churches where they'd rather elevate men and the men that they have would, would really want to be elevated. Some of my brothers here have told me about places they've been in their past where there are special seats for the men that do the preaching and they sit like kings and they even come into the assembly separate through a separate door. In fact, I can recall one time one of my brethren here, Brandon, you know, you heard from him in a uh, podcast uh, back in August. Uh, I think, wait, no, September. Okay, sorry, my mind there slipping a little bit. But Brandon has told me about a time where he saw a man walk in and they'd have this own little, they'd like walk in with their Bible under their armpit. If I were on video, you would be laughing at me right now because I just did it as I'm thinking about what Brandon said. And they'd come in through a special door and, you know, they're really praised and they're glorified and men hold them so highly. Similar things and mentality is what was going on among the church in Corinth. And they aired because of that. Folks, that's wrong. Think about the mentality. Jesus says in John 5, 44, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? How are you a believer when you want to be glorified of men? In fact, if you're going to preach the truth, when you look at Jesus, the apostles, the prophets of old, when you preach the truth, you're not going to be glorified by men. In fact, it's going to be the opposite. You're going to be treated like Paul was and like Jesus was and like Peter was. They wanted to kill these men. They didn't glorify them. They hated them. Jesus said in Luke 6, 26, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. If you're well-loved, if you're quote-unquote popular in the brotherhood, you're a false teacher. You're a false prophet. People love you because you're not telling them the truth. Folks, come on. Let's think about the inspired word of God here. Works need to glorify God, not man. We see in Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, as Paul is writing in verses 3 through 8, he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look at Jesus. Jesus, who humbled himself, came in the form of a servant. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our example. How can you be clothed with humility and be a glory seeker at the same time? And 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. How can you be clothed with humility when you're seeking glory and honor and praise of men? And listen, this is not just a sermon, a podcast, 
about preachers. Let, 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 me give you, let me give you some examples that I've seen here in, in my life. 1999, Christiansburg, Virginia, a man named Ward Teal. He walks into the congregation as he drives his, the most expensive vehicle that's parked in the parking lot, lives in the biggest house, not only in the congregation, but the city, literally on the street. He walks into the building and people need to take notice because he's Ward Teal. He had been an important politician. He owned multiple businesses. Don't you know who he is? When I preached the truth and offended Ward Teal, that was one of the things he said to me. Don't you know who I am? You know, I, I thought about the demons and even preached a sermon on it in Acts 19 at that time, you know, where the demon says to the Jew that was trying to cast him out, Jesus, I know him, Paul, I know, but who are ye? Hey, come on. You're nobody. I'm nobody. Cherry Tree, Pennsylvania. I can't remember the guy's name for the life of me, but he was one of the predominant men and one of the larger families in the congregation uh, was made up of, uh, 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 out of this family. He'd walk in the door, and I think his name was Bob, if I remember correctly, and everybody needs to take notice. This guy, he used to fondle younger women in the congregation, I mean, you know, my wife saw him come and she left and I, I saw him come and I said, don't touch my wife. This guy used to like to kiss the women, not the holy kiss, you know, but he liked to kiss the women. Hey, I think his name was Bob. Uh, just drawn a blank, but, but people really high regarded him and not just him. There were other people there that were just highly regarded. In Butler, Pennsylvania, there was a woman in the congregation. Oh, what is wrong with me today? Uh, the recollection of names, Patty, Patty Flieger, that was her name. That I don't know if she's still alive, but hope, hope someday she'll turn her, her, her mind and her heart back to God if she is. But this woman, she, she, she was the eldress of the congregation until such was pointed out and corrected and ultimately she had to be marked and withdrawn from because she would not humble herself. She would not be clothed with humility. When she walked in, you better take notice. I remember there was a time her and, and two other women, her mother and another woman, if I preached too long, and in th those days, those were two to three hour sermons because there was so much wrong in that congregation. You know, one of the works of an evangelist is to set things in order, Titus 1 and verse 5. And we were studying things and coming out of error together, actually. And there were times where she would just get up and leave. Why? Because she had lunch plans. She had lunch plans. Her husband was not a Christian. And one of the reasons he was not a Christian is because of what he saw in his wife. Because she certainly was not. Folks, all these people, when they walked into the room, expected you to take notice. I moved here. There was a guy named Herman Starkey. He is deceased. I remember the first time I was here in El Paso, Texas. And the class period that I had taught had ended and, you know, the traditions are, you know, there's a Bible class, then a worship service, right? And this man did not come to the first hour, but he walked in the door. And when he walked in the door, my goodness, you would have thought God the Father had, had arrived for some of the people that the way that they honored him and treated him. It was sickening, and I knew right away, this guy's a problem. And he expected me to, to kiss his ring. He didn't literally wear a ring, but I think you get the imagery, right? The Pope. He was the Pope to some people. He wanted me to know that he used to be an elder. Well, listen, when it, I, I knew very little about him at that time, and I knew everything I needed to know. And some of the brethren couldn't see him for what he was. Why? Because when man is glorified and honored so much, the shine of the man outweighs his fruit and his works. 
You know them by their fruit, Matthew 7, 15 through 20. But you can't see the fruit because the tree is gold. This guy could do no wrong. Folks, I've seen it everywhere I've been. Congregation I was at when I was a young man, teenager. Congregation that was an error. I was an error. I was lost. They were lost. They still are lost. There was a family, the Dooley family. Some of that family, they were the kings and queens of the congregation. There were women in the congregation, last name Bumbleow. And this, this particular woman, uh, wow, she's had to have her hands in everything. The preacher feared her, feared some of the other family. In fact, they rose up against him a few times and feared him. There was the Cook family. A congregation divided because there was a man named Lloyd and this dude, this dude was an apostle in that congregation. When division occurred and he crossed his arms, man, I think it was like 30 or 40 people. Whatever Lloyd said goes. All these people I'm giving you the names of, they were glorified and honored. And because, hey, and, and, and not just all of that, but even as a, as a very young person, teenager, 15 years old, not knowing much about the gospel in Overbrook, Kansas, the preacher in that congregation, the preacher whom I knew fairly well, yep, glory beyond belief. Folks, everywhere I've been, I've seen this problem. And their works, whatever they did, everybody knew that they did it. Every one of those people that I just named, if they were doing something, you knew about it because they wanted the glory. What about where you've been and where you are? You can probably name quite a few people. What about yourself? What about yourself? Now, let's turn our attention to self here, right? Because it's one thing to point the finger and everybody else, there was a humble brother uh, that used to be here in the congregation in El Paso, and he's deceased, and, and uh, uh, he had a statement that, you know, it wasn't, or didn't originate with him, but I just remember him saying it multiple times. There's one finger pointing at somebody else and three pointing back at you. And if you want to break your thumb, make it four, right? Look to self. Look to self. Whatsoever you do, Due to the glory of God. In a context where Paul, the apostle, writing to the Corinthians, no surprise, he's telling the Corinthians that they need to glorify God. Big problem in Corinth. In the context, he's talking about authorized liberties. In fact, chapter 8, a good part of chapter 9, a good part of chapter 10, authorized liberties. Talking in the immediate context, 1 Corinthians 10, 24 through 33, about meats that are offered to idols that could be eaten, but not if it's going to cause somebody weak to stumble or be offended. Talking about going to the marketplace where meats offered to idols might have been sold. Same principles there. In that context, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Here's where this verse stands even out of context. Whatsoever ye do. Whatsoever covers what? Whatsoever, right? Christians are expected to be a people who do good works. In Ephesians 2.10, says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This is written to Gentiles, primarily congregation made up of Gentiles. You see that in the context in chapters 1 and 2. People that are being told you are saved by the grace of God, not by your own works. But you're created unto good works. And Titus 2.14, talking about the grace of God that appeared to all men, contextually, verse 11. And Jesus, Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. In Titus chapter 3, verse 8 and verse 14, 
This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Verse 14, let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. So these three verses that we just read, Titus 2, 14, 3, 8, and 3, 14, written to an evangelist. Why? Because he's going to teach Christians, keep doing good works. And Hebrews, book written to Jewish Christians needing to understand the change in the law, the change in the priesthood, the mechanics of Christianity versus those of the law of Moses, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Look at what Christians are supposed to do one for another. To provoke one another unto love and good works. Peter, book we're studying on Sundays, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Clearly, throughout the New Testament, we are shown that faithful saints are people of good works. But these good works are not supposed to be done to your glory. But like we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatsoever ye do, do all the glory of God. In another context, back to the, you know, or not back to, but we're going to come back to this text. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to look at some other verses here momentarily from as well. Jesus teaches, ye are the light of the world. Talking to his disciples. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works so they're visible, but notice, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You need to evaluate what you're doing and how you're doing it. And ask yourself, are you doing this to God's glory or to yours? I want you to think about something. And here a little bit later, we're going to see a text that, that's going to show us this. But let me give you this thought now so that it can begin to kind of work in your mind. You do a good work. Whatever it is, you do a good work. Let's say, just kind of as an example, that you're in a similar situation that Jesus used the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this parable in Luke 10, the context, Luke 10, 25 through 37 is taught because a lawyer tempted Jesus and said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus puts the question back on him about what's written in the law. And the lawyer answers correctly to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said, okay, you know, do this and thou shalt live. But, he, but this lawyer being typically, as you would think of a lawyer, past and present, wanted to justify himself, and he asked Jesus a question, whom is my neighbor? In that context, Jesus taught the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, the Good Samaritan did what the Levite and the priest didn't. There was a man who had fallen among thieves, and his clothes were stripped of him. He was wounded. He was left for half dead. The priest and the Levite passed by. The Samaritan, though, he journeyed, Luke 10, 33, where he was. He saw the man, he had compassion on him, went to him, bound up his wounds, poured in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I'll repay thee. Which now of these thinkest thou was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And of course, 
you know, the lawyer uh, is given this lesson, and, and he said, he that showed mercy on him. So Jesus said, go and do that likewise. So let's say you find yourself in this position where somebody is in clear need. And I say that because there are people that redefine verses like Galatians 6.10 that, you know, me as a Christian, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to reap what I sow, Galatians 6, 7 through 10. It's in that context, individual Christian. I'm going to reap what I sow. So when I have opportunity, Galatians 6, 10, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those in the household of faith. So now I have an opportunity. Somebody is left for dead. This is important to qualify because some people would say good is anytime you help somebody. Well, did you know that there is a time where you could help somebody and it would be evil? Take, for example, just to be quick and not to teach a whole different podcast, the saints in Thessalonica had brethren, you see it in the first and second epistle. The context I'm going to refer to is in 2 Thessalonians 3. Had brethren that were, were lazy and they were not working. They weren't making wages for themselves. So Paul instructed in a context talking about discipline that was going to have to happen to certain people. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if any man will not work, neither should he eat. So if you're giving something to somebody who's lazy and refuses to work, has means and the ability to do so, and you get, you're violating 2 Thessalonians 3.10. So you can't just take Galatians 6.10 and say anytime you help anybody, it's a good work. There's a time where you can be helping somebody and it's an evil work. Now, the person who is given as an example in the parable of the Good Samaritan, somebody that's stripped, left naked, left for dead, it doesn't matter whether this person's working or not working or anything else. They have a need because they're going to die if somebody doesn't help them. You, you don't walk over and, you know do a, an inspection about where this person works and how much they make and if they spent their money wisely or any of these other things. This is somebody whom if you do not render aid, they're going to die, okay? You find yourself in that position and you help this person. And let's say rather than an end, you see them to a hospital. And that hospital, uh, you get them there and you, know, you do all that you can to help them. Maybe the hospital won't even see them uh, because, you know, we live in a country that people can break the law and they get free medical care, but <laughs> if you don't have an insurance card, you're going to be turned away from some hospitals. Let's say you, you, you take them to the emergency room and you give them $600 or, uh, so that they'll at least begin treatment because you don't even know if this person has insurance, whatever the case may be. Let's say you do that and a hospital administrator comes and shakes your hand and says, you know what we'd like to do? We'd like to get a picture of you, and we would like to reward you with this or this or this. What you should do as a child of God is you should say to that person, I'm not doing this to receive the glory, honor, and praise. If you want to glorify somebody, glorify my God. Glorify my Father which is in heaven. If you want to make some kind of statement, you don't need to know my name. All you need to know is that a faithful child of God helped this man. That's a good way for you to think, a good example. And we're going to see something later that's inspired that is going to give you similar to what I just did. When we are doing good works, we ought not look for nor receive the glory for it. We need to be reminded and think about on a regular basis the good that we are doing is because we've been enabled to do so. And 1 Peter 4.11 says, If any man speak, let him speak as oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to be praised and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God has given me the hands with which I work, the mouth with which I speak, the eyes with which I see, the ears with which I hear, the brain with which I think. When I use my physical abilities, 
I need to remember who gave those things to me. So that the glory is not of me, but to God. Yes. My works need to be seen. Your works need to be seen. And Titus 2, 7 through 8 says, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing on corruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he is of a contrary part may be ashamed, have no evil thing to say of you. But I want you to think about what I'm about to bring about. Our works are to be seen. But we're not to do works to be seen. Can you, can you process that? Can you think about that for a moment? Let it sink in. I want to draw your attention to Matthew, the sixth chapter. You see, glory seeking has been a long problem. So we're going to come back to that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus to the disciples that we, we read out of Matthew 5, 14 through 16. And we're coming to Matthew chapter 6. And you're going to notice a few verses in this context. In Matthew 6, I'm just going to begin at verse 1. It says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your fathers in heaven. So here's our balance point, okay? Our works need to be seen of men to glorify the Father. But we don't do our works to be seen of men. Are you following that? Think about that for, for just a minute. I'm doing good works because it's my duty to do them. Man's going to see that. I need to make sure God's getting the glory. But I don't want to go and look at verses like Galatians 6.10, as you therefore have opportunity, let's do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith, and start looking for ways to be seen doing good works. Because then I'm doing it to be seen. Well, who's being seen? Me. When I am standing out before my works, which are to glorify God, there's kind of a problem. I think of this often as a gospel preacher. Uh, when the man stands in front of the message and the man is seen more than the Word of God. And it's why I've made changes that I had to do. I'll give you a little, little background story here. When I was younger and had first started preaching the gospel, my motives and intentions for preaching the gospel were just. But quickly, uh, I began to be glorified, and I liked it. One of the reasons I was glorified is I preached off of memory. So I would get up in the pulpit as I had been taught to do, by the way. Uh, the group of people that I was among, young in the faith, it was expected that when you teach and preach, you need to memorize the scriptures that you're using. So I did that, and I spent a great deal of time in memorization. Now, now listen, I was in error. So don't sit back and start pulling this apart. I'm, every part of this is wrong, okay? Hear that loud and clear. But people were impressed. And I liked it. I didn't even measure the fact that it was wrong. I didn't even think about the fact that people were listening to me and not the words which were being spoken. I preached so fast and used so many scriptures, people were just amazed. This woman, one time, she told me that I preached a great lesson. I don't remember why or what moved me to ask her what I asked. The end result's the focus, though. I asked her what my lesson was about, what she learned. She had no idea. In that moment, I realized that I wasn't teaching that I was standing out more than the message, that it become about me and not about the Lord. Changed the way I preached from that day forward. Changed the way that I taught the Word of God. Didn't want to be seen as a great speaker. Spent more time studying context than memorizing verses because I'd also figured out a little bit later than that 
that the method of preaching that I was using was also flawed because instead of knowing what the context was about, I was proof texting. I was pulling verses out of the Bible that said what you know, I thought they should say instead of how they were using context. So come back to context. Matthew 6, 2, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, so when you do your gift giving, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I send you, they have their reward. So, so think about this. People were going out and they were doing good works. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they wanted to make sure everybody could see and hear. He says, When thou doest thine arms, alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be in secret, that thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the streets and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. You've seen this, right? I've seen this. Where men get up and they lead a prayer and they want to be prayer. They lead a prayer. They lead a prayer and they just want to be heard. In fact, the text goes on, Matthew 6, 6. But thou when thou prayest in thy closet, Shut thy door, pray to thy father's secret, and thy father which is in the secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Listen, this is not a condemnation of public prayer. When you look at the scriptures, public prayers to some degree are necessary, such as when the church assembles, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, and 15. This is a condemnation of going out and praying to be heard of men. I want to come back to the, you've probably seen it, and I know I have, where men get up and they lead a prayer, and it is so flowery and so long. There's this guy, one time uh, he came to a, a congregation where I was laboring, Pennsylvania. He was visiting with us. He was a quote-unquote gospel preacher. His name was Paul Blake. He led a prayer where he basically preached to God. And you just know he wanted everybody in the audience to be impressed. He wasn't talking to God. Prayer is to God the Father. We're about to get to that. He was talking to everybody in the assembly. It was entirely wrong. Seen a lot of prayers like that. How about you? Have you prayed a prayer like that? It's time to repent, huh? People that worry about how they sound in front of their brethren. Now, to a degree, everybody needs to be able to say amen. Again, that context, 1 Corinthians 14, we learned that. When you pray publicly, you're praying on behalf of others. They need to be in agreement with that. They need to be able to understand what you're saying. But to be impressive... So someone says, wow, that was a wonderful prayer. Oh, man. What? So, verse 8, Matthew 6, Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. So who are you praying to? Father in heaven, right? And listen, I'm going to assume that a lot of people listening to this podcast probably know this, but this prayer is not for you to repeat. That's a common error in religion. Jesus isn't saying pray these words. In fact, we can't. Just one out of several things in this prayer. Jesus, after he says, hallowed be the name, says, thy kingdom come, the kingdom has come. Christians are translated in the kingdom, Colossians 1 and verse 13. So you can't pray this prayer anyway. At the time Jesus prayed this prayer, things were different than they are now. Okay? He continues on. Thy will be done as it is in earth and heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is thy kingdom and the power and glory forever. And amen. Jesus goes on to say, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Then he comes back to the overall point. Verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sound countenance, for they disfigure their faces as they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, 
that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. Father which seeth in secret. The lesson. Don't go out and do your works motivated by being seen of men. See the see similar lesson in Matthew 23 where, where the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they sat in Moses' seat. They sat in a position of authority. Verse 5 says, All their works they do to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the border of their garments. Love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the markets to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Be not be called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all your brethren. And call no man your father which is upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Now I be called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. He that humbled himself shall be exalted. When you look at those texts, don't do works to be seen of men, to get glory of men. When good works are done, God is going to be glorified. There, there's a, a text. You know, the church in Corinth was told in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4, that upon the first day of the week, they were to take up a collection. And a lot of people are familiar with this instruction. It says, upon the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, let everyone who lay and buy in stores, God is prospering, and there be no gatherings when I come. When I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, then why I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet, that I go also, that they shall go with me. Well, Paul was hindered from coming back to Corinth. So in 2 Corinthians, as he's writing a second letter because he wasn't able to come and be present in the flesh, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, there's a context where Paul is going to send Titus, the evangelist, to Corinth and, and uh, uh, a witness and a messenger from other congregations. That collection that in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 and 3 that they were taking up for the poor saint Jerusalem was then going to be taken by these messengers to Jerusalem. Fast forward through this text. 2 Corinthians 9, 13. When the money taken from Corinth was going to be delivered to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Notice what the text says, 2 Corinthians 9.13. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection of the gospel of Christ, for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all. Who gets the glory for the church in Corinth sending money to the poor saints in Jerusalem? God. God does. The instruction was of God. Let's think about this as we take it to other layers, inward and outwardly. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Doesn't this take us away from the focus of the carnal man? And, and, and yet, what happens is the carnal focus puts things backwards. It puts things backwards. It re reverses everything. Hmm. When you think about 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, Nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine wherein thou, thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Think about the outward. People focus on the outward way too often. The the body, the body of man, bodily exercise, 
Why are you getting physically fit? Oh, I want to look ripped. Why are you in the gym? The world, right? They want that beach body. Male and female. They want that beach body. No. That beach body, that exercise is of little profit. Godliness is what matters. To glorify God, we're not going to surrender our bodies to sinful fleshly desires. Coming back into the context, and you know, we looked at 1 Corinthians 6, 20. Come back to 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and 13. It says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. A little bit further down, verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Surrender your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove that which is perfect. Will of God. Hmm. Think on that. Furthermore, in our spirit, Romans 12, 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving Lord. Inwardly and outwardly, glorify God, not yourself. Don't go out there with that beach body mentality. Don't surrender your body to sin or the desires of the flesh. Don't give your mind over to the things of the world, the things of the flesh. Earlier, I used the parable of the Good Samaritan and kind of gave you a little bit of a thought. I said, I'm going to bring you to an inspired text that when you do a good work and man wants to glorify you for that good work, you can see a right response. Hey, don't glorify us. Don't honor us in this way. Acts 14 is the text that I want to draw your attention to. And we're going to look at Acts 14, 8 through 18. It says, There sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. So, Paul does a miracle. A man that couldn't walk, just by verbal command, is now able to walk. So in verse 11, when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices. Now listen, Paul did not err here. He did a good work. People saw it. He, and in and, and part, this is what, you, you know, if you'll just let, bear with me for a moment. This is what spiritual gifts were to be used for. So Paul was doing the right thing. You know, sometimes man glorifies us when we're doing the right thing. And you're not trying to get the glory. In Mark 16, when the apostles are instructed to go in the world, notice this text. Mark 16, 14 through 20. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them, with un upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen after he was risen. He said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up in heaven, sat down on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So what Paul did is he's preaching and now he's taking the opportunity to heal a man, which confirms the word, okay? 
Acts 14.11, when the people saw that Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. They called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. And the, the priests of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they said, yes. Y'all see how great we are? Oh, no, that's not what they said, folks. Notice what they did. Paul and Barnabas, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left on himself without witness and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful season, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. You see what Paul and Barnabas did? They did not allow these folks to give them the glory. Now, unfortunately, the context, if you were to keep reading on, just gets really bad. Paul is stoned to the point where they thought he was dead after this. I mean, it's terrible, right? Paul and Barnabas do a miracle, and boom, I mean, the Jews came and just took off on Paul. Unfortunate context. But what they did is likening what I was telling you to do earlier. Don't let man give you the glory that belongs to God. You need to understand that men will do that. And when you are capable, redirect it. Paul and Barnabas are a great example of that. What you don't want to do is start to take that glory to yourself. Again, speaking from experience, it can get to your head. Because being Christians, we're going to have wisdom that the world doesn't have. Being Christians, we're going to have understanding that the world doesn't have. Being Christians, we're going to have knowledge that the world doesn't have. Being Christians, we're going to have confidence and peace that the world doesn't have. And people may at times be impressed by any or all of that. At which time we need to direct their attention and say, what I have is of God and not of myself. Don't be a Nebuchadnezzar. When you read through the Old Testament, like you go into 2 Chronicles chapter 36, for example, Judah is going to be sent into Babylonian captivity, and God delivers them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4, I want you to think about what Nebuchadnezzar does with all this. Verse 28 beginning, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken." The kingdom is departed from thee. They shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. Seven times shall pass over thee until thou know the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men, and give it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird claws." And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes into heaven. My understanding returned unto me. You see what he came to see? I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom from generation to generation. Now look, God doesn't talk directly to man anymore, so you're not going to hear a voice from heaven. And judgment is not going to be rendered immediately like it was upon Nebuchadnezzar. You need to learn from him. 
Because the humbling is not going to come in a time when you can turn back. It's going to come at the judgment day. Where you're going to answer. John 5, 28 and 29. And if you reject the words of God, the words of Christ, He's going to reject you. John 12, 48. You want to humble yourself now. Then it'll be too late. The judgment day, every knee is going to bow. Romans 14, 11 and 12. It's too late. Don't be a Herod. In Acts 12, 20 through 23, this is after Peter was let out of prison by an angel. Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him and have made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Learn from Nebuchadnezzar and Herod what not to do. Learn from Paul and Barnabas what to do. The judgment day is going to be day of humbling for those that have received the glory and honor and praise of men. Make the adjustments now before it is eternally too late. Whether it is the Old or the New Testament, we're taught about these things. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let them that glory glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus says in John, 16, John 7, 16 and 18, Jesus answers him, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. Folks, your good works need to glorify God, not you. If you're listening to this lesson and you're thinking, I need to humble myself. Do it. Don't wait. Judgment can happen in five seconds from now. When you're doing good works, if you're a Christian... Let those good works glorify God. I want to give you a thought in line with that. If you're not a faithful Christian and you're doing good works, your good works aren't doing anything for you or God. You have to be in Christ for your good works to be spiritually fruitful. In John 15... Jesus said, I am the true vine. I'm just starting at verse 1. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that may bring forth more fruit. Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Are you in Christ? I want to give you a thought here. As many of you have been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ, Galatians 3, verse 27. Have you done things? And listen, baptism is not the only thing you need to do to be in Christ. I'm just giving you a thought, one thought. There's many. I'm just trying to stir up your mind because I'd like to study with you. If you're not in Christ, I want to meet you where you are in your journey towards God. I want to study the Bible and show you through the Scriptures alone, not because I have some special ability, but only because the ability that God has given me and the time that, that I've spent, the life that God has given me in the Word of God, that I can speed up the process for you and help you learn. Maybe you're searching through the Bible and you can't find. Let me help you find how you might please God. We can do that to His glory together. Call me up. My phone number is 915-525-5794. Email me, brian at wordsoftruth.net, B-R-I-A-N at wordsoftruth.net, or visit the website, www.wordsoftruth.net. I'd love to talk to you, love to study with you, love to help you come to know the Lord, to His glory, honor, and praise.
if you're in Christ and, and you're just struggling, I've been there. I have, I've had to deal with being a glory seeker. It's truly humbling when you come to the realization that you're doing that. I was unaware that I was doing it. It hit me pretty hard, right upside the head. Right upside the head. Sometimes you're unaware, but maybe you listen to a lesson like this and you start thinking, whoa, whoa, that's me. Okay, whoa is a good answer. Time to turn it around. Christians can help Christians turn things around, exhorting one another. Hebrews 3 and verse 13. Lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's all I got, folks, for this podcast. I hope that you will join back on Sunday as we return to our study on 1 Peter. And I hope this has been thought-provoking, challenging, and edifying. Thank you for listening. I will say goodbye until next time.